both bold, confident, and humble at the very same time. That the gospel means to make us both bold and humble at the same time. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 10 together, where the Apostle Paul writes this. I, Paul myself, entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening with you in my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily appearance is weak and his speech of no account. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together as, uh, as we ready ourselves. Father, we uh, pray for our time together that you'll be with us, that you'll strengthen us, and that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This last week, um, I was reading an article by a guy named Jim Howden, who's a, a CEO, and he wrote an article in uh, the, the magazine called Inc., or Incorporated, and he says this, I have come to admire the combination of confidence and humility as among the most powerful traits of a leader. It is often my experience that leaders are confident but not humble. And on the flip side, those uh, with humility are not confident even to the point of constantly seeking reassurances to validate their leadership. What happens when the arrogance of confidence and the weakness of humility is removed? It can be a magical trait of leadership that creates influence, impact, and followership. And I believe this author is on to something that's it's really, in, in many ways, what Paul is showing us and demonstrating to us, that there is something powerful, and this is the kind of leader, honestly, I think every one of us would want to follow, right? I mean, somebody who on the one hand has confidence and strength, but on the other hand is humble and, and loving towards others and is other-centered. But how do you get that? Because the truth is, most of us tend to be bold on the one hand or, or very timid on the other, and obviously there's some continuum, and so is, we're somewhere in between there, but how do you become both bold and confident, but with humility at the same time? How does that happen? So this morning, our main point is this. The gospel makes us confident and humble at the same time. First, the gospel makes, uh, makes the confident humble. The gospel makes the confident person more humble. Paul's personality was confident and bold, and he was not naturally uh, humble by, 
by, by personality or temperament. I mean, it, how many of you have read his letters and feel like you have a decent handle on your personality? You don't have to raise your hand, but like, if you've done that, if you're newer to church or newer to the scripture, you may not know his temperament or personality, but if you've read him and you know him, you know this man was confident and he was a bold person. Uh, before he became a Christian, he excelled in like nearly everything that he did. He excelled in his education. He excelled in his calling, in his religion. He was so dedicated you know, to Judaism that he became a Pharisee, which was like the ultimate thing that you could do in that day in terms of leading the people uh, in Israel. He became a Pharisee. When he became a Christian, he was so intense that he started persecuting the early church. And then after the Lord called him to himself, God used him in his boldness, in his courage, to do things that very few people probably could do. Rather than staying close to home in Jerusalem, where the rest of the apostles were staying, he went out into the rest of the Roman world, where people were not yet following Christ, and he established new churches there. He was a man of action. Now, without Paul's boldness, the gospel would not have gone forward like this, but God used him, and God used suffering in his life. If you think about it, as you look at his story, God used a thorn in his flesh, and God used suffering to show him just how much he needed Jesus, just how much he needed Christ as Savior. And that humility grew and grew in his life, and by the end of his life, Paul was saying things like, I am the chief of all sinners. <laughs> I am the president of being sinful, basically, is what he's saying. On the one hand, Paul didn't beat up himself, but what he was saying is, look, the gospel has made me humble to understand that I am nothing without him. My confidence is not in myself. It is in what Christ has done for me. The gospel grew and grew and grew in his heart. Paul planted this church, this particular church in Corinth, and he loved this church, but his relationship with this, this group of people was difficult. They were a tough group of people. They constantly questioned his motives. You know, Paul, why did you say you were going to come visit us twice, but instead you only visited us once, and you must not love us, and your yes is, is not actually yes. When you say yes, you mean no, and when you say no, you mean yes. They called his motives into question. They called his authority, authority into question, and they would listen to false teachers who were preaching a different gospel. Paul wrote them a letter that is lost in history. We don't have a copy of it, and yet we know that it was very, very intense. And there was some brokenness in their relationship after the writing of this letter. And so now he is trying to be restored to them, and he is restored to the vast majority of them, but there is this minority that is still causing problems. And they're saying things like, Paul is so bold and intense when he's far away when he's writing us, and yet he's so meek and timid and unimpressing when he is uh, close to us. Paul is bold when he emails or when he tweets on social media, but he's so timid and mild and meek when he's with us in present. And so they were asking other questions, like if God is really for this man, if God is really with this man, why does he suffer? Why has he been shipwrecked? Why has he been beaten so many times? Why has he been in prison? Why is he such a humbled man by 
life's experiences. And so, on the one hand, when he's far away, he writes as if he's like Dwayne the Rock, right? So from far away, he seems like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but when he shows up in actuality, he's more like Kevin Hart. (laughs) You know, a powerful guy, but not as impressive as Dwayne the Rock. For us older people, like, from far away, he seems like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but then when he shows up, in walks Woody Allen. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, they say this, His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. And this is what the Greeks were like in Corinth. They were impressed with looks and, and, and philosophy and logic and glory. They wanted physical glory and beauty and power. And then Paul shows up and and they are not impressed. Now, why do I bring this up? Because Paul, who is bold, and Paul, who is temperamentally courageous, and someone who would normally just argue with them and and go at them, look at how patient he is with them, even though he's confronting them. No other group of people has been more difficult to Paul, and yet in verse 1 we read, he says, I myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And yet he confronts them also. He wants to be like Christ in his leadership. He wants to be patient. He wants to listen to them. He wants to be loving. And he also wants to confront them. Paul didn't quit being bold. And here's the thing. The gospel, when it is birthed in our heart, gives us a new heart. Okay? We read about that in in our call, uh, our confession of sin and assurance of pardon. That when the gospel comes in, the Lord, by the power of his spirit, he removes our stony heart, our dead heart, and he gives us a heart of flesh. A beating heart, an alive heart. Paul says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, right? Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. The Lord gives us a new heart, but the thing is, in a sense, he's changing us motivationally from the inside out, but we don't become an utterly and completely different person. You know that. The the temperament that you have, the personality that you have, the the history that you've had, and even the brokenness and, and your sinful tendencies and all that is still wrapped up into the person that you are, and the Lord comes in through his spirit and begins to redeem that and make us more and more slowly but surely like himself. And so that those of us who are more bold, by God's grace, should be seeing ourselves become more humbled over time, more loving, more patient, quicker to listen than to speak. And conversely also. As a staff team this year, um, we've been studying our personality and our personality types. How many of you have taken a personality profile before? Raise your hand if you've taken one, one or more. So how many of you have taken at least one? Almost all of you have taken a personality test. Now, how many of you have taken more than two or taken at least two? Raise your hand if you've taken at least two. Almost all of you have taken almost at least two. Personal. Apparently, <laughs> we need more than one. How many of you have taken three or more? Okay, a little less, but, but quite a few of you. So almost all of us are familiar with these personality profiles, and, and we, if you've taken one, y- you kind of know that sometimes they're semi-accurate and sometimes they're less accurate, but you also know this. None of them completely and fully describe who a human being is. It's not possible, right? However, recently, as we've been preparing uh, just as a staff to get to know each other better, to know our strengths and our weaknesses and and that kind of thing. It's been really helpful. There's one that has been particularly helpful in explaining at least who I think I am, and, and that personality profile says that I am uh, someone who is a challenger or an asserter 
or a protector or a jerk. <laughs> People like me are described as self-confident, assertive, protective, resourceful, straight-talking, and decisive. But left to our own devices, and if we're unhealthy, can be too bold, too opinionated, quick to talk, slow to listen. And so the gospel has to say things to people like me, and maybe you can relate to this. You've got to listen more than you speak. Out of love for others, you have to be humble. You have to care for others, and you have to listen, and, and, and you have to be quick to repent. You don't have the answer to everything. And verses like this where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do no good thing. That speaks to me so much. In my personality, I... I want to control my environment. I want to be in charge. I, I want to make sure that I can control everything. But guess what? <laughs> I can't control everything. Neither can you. And the Lord has been showing me through years. I have to trust him. I have to trust him to be the king. I have to submit my life to him. Friends, are you more bold naturally? Are you like Paul? Maybe bold naturally. You are more likely than to step on toes, hurt feelings, and leave a wake in your path, but are you growing and caring for those around you? Because this is what the gospel does. God does not zap us into a different person so that we quit being the person we are with a different temperament, different history, different personality, but is he shaping you? The Holy Spirit's shaping us into having a more others-centered view. The gospel makes the proud and the bold humble. Next, though, the gospel makes the humble confident. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you feel like, yes, I am on the other end of that, that spectrum. Like, I tend to be more timid. I tend to be more humble. I, I have a hard time expressing my opinion. In a meeting, I'm not the, the one to talk. I, I often leave a meeting and think, gosh, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I bring that up? Or, or somebody offends me, and I, I don't feel like I, I can actually express myself to them. I have a hard time in conflict. And by the way, nobody likes conf conflict, not even people wired like me. I mean, if you love conflict, there's some, something deeply troubling about you. None of us love conflict, but you, maybe if you're more timid, have a difficult time speaking up, confront, confronting, and so forth. So Paul was not temperamentally humble, but you know what? Life had humbled him. I've read to you the list of sufferings this man has gone through. We've talked about the details of the beatings and the floggings and the imprisonments and the shipwreck and all these things, right? Not only that, he lived with, we'll talk about in a few weeks, a thorn in his flesh. And none of us are absolutely certain what that was, but he had physical impairments to just live with. And he prayed and asked God to take away, and he didn't do that. God humbled this man, made him a humble man. And some of his accusers have been saying, again, Paul is not spiritual enough. If, if he were more spiritual, if he really walked in the Holy Spirit, why would he suffer so much in this life? He clearly walks in the flesh, not the Spirit. He obviously does not have the Spirit. He's, he's too human, right? Too manly. Like Because here's the reality. The Greeks were platonic, and they believed that only the spirit world, right? Well, not entirely, but some of you will call me to task on this. <laughs> but, but the platonic view of, you know, the spirit is good, the flesh is, the flesh is bad. But Paul says, although I'm just a man living in this human body with all of its weaknesses, I don't wage war 
only according to the flesh, he says. No, we take captive strongholds and so forth through a spiritual war. Paul is a warrior, a humble warrior now. And for some reason, when I think of Paul, I kind of think of Yoda. (laughs) You know? Yoda looks humble, and he walks in with his cane and his funny noises he makes as he walks, and he's wrinkly and weird looking. (laughs) But then there's power, right? And he may look weak in the flesh, but he is strong in the spirit. Warrior he is. <laughs> so Paul has been humbled by life, but he's still saying, but I still do battle. I still, I still am a warrior in the Holy Spirit, and I still have my confidence. And so friends, those of us that are more timid, life has beaten down. Maybe just temperamentally more timid. The gospel means to make us, the gospel means to make us confident. 2 Corinthians 10, he talks about the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against us through the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. There's this warfare going on. We know this, and we're going to sing about it in a minute. A mighty fortress is our God. There's a spiritual battle going on for the hearts and minds of people that we won't see until we reach glory. We don't just battle, Paul says, flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle going on, and Paul says we are fighting for ideas regarding their faith to take every thought captive. And so the confident person is called to humility, and the humble person is called to confidence. And the thing that I want us to see, one of the things that Paul talks about uh, throughout his letters is this. We who are broken, fallen, and sinful in need of the gospel, which is all, all people in the world... When we become followers of Jesus by faith, we are no longer counted as sinful or broken or shame-filled people. That still is true of you to some degree, even after you become a Christian and you have you know, the, the Holy Spirit in your life and you're a new creation, the reality is still this. You are still broken, still s- struggling with sin, and, and still, still filled with shame and so forth at times. But that is no longer what defines you. You may define yourself that way, but that is not what actually defines you. What defines you in actuality, in the kingdom, is that you're now a child of God. Amen? You're his precious son. And maybe you never had a father that spoke that kind of language in your life and said, you are precious to me. You're my son. I love you. I'm for you. You are my... You're my precious son. Or perhaps you never had a father or a mother say to you, you are my dear daughter. You are precious to me. I love you. Nothing can separate my love for you. My daughter, you are precious to me. So many of us have gone in life without that kind of affirmation from an earthly father or an earthly mother, but that is true of you now. That is what is true of you. That is what you should be identifying yourself in. Yes, you're still broken. Yes, you're still sinful. Yes, there's still shame in your life. But that is not what is ultimately true of you any longer. Now you're the sons. Paul talks about this all over the place in his letters. You are the sons and the daughters of God bought with a special price, the very blood of Christ. You're his. Amen? And so those of us still broken, filled with shame, struggling with a million different things. We're called to be confident. 
even right there in the weakness, right there in the battle, right there in the shame, right there in the struggle, right there, whether whatever your issue is, right there in the addiction, right there, to be confident. I'm still his. His death won that for me. His resurrection won that for me. I am his child, and I can be a confident person. And so the gospel makes us confident and humble at the same time, and this is such good news. This is what we need to hear. We're called to be confident and humble at the very same time, and if you lean towards one of these other extremes, then you're brought towards the middle, but to live in that. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 17 through 18, Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And it's interesting, Paul doesn't say quit boasting. He says quit boasting in, in things that don't produce any good thing. Instead, boast in the Lord. What's the classic boast that little kids do? You know, when they're bragging to one another, like there's this classic boast that little kids tend to do. It's, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad's stronger than your dad. My dad's balder than your dad. My dad's smarter than your dad. My, whatever it is. My dad, my dad can whoop your dad. My dad is so strong. And what Paul is actually saying is that is actually what we need to start doing. My father is stronger. I don't boast in my resources. The powerful person doesn't say, oh, I'm strong. No, the powerful person says, I boast in my father because he is sovereign. I boast in my father because he is forgiving. I boast in my father because he's victorious. I boast in my father because he raises people from the dead. I boast in my father, and it's the one he commends that matters, not what I commend. Boasting, boasting in the Lord. If you're going to boast, Paul says, boast in the Lord. Tim Keller was a pastor in New York City. He still is. It's just that he's now retired. He's had an enormous impact on a lot of people, including myself. And when we started New Valley, there was um, an article that he had written that served as sort of the foundation for us vision-wise. It's called the centrality of the, of the gospel, the centrality of the gospel. And we read that many, many times as a team, right? You remember? Over and over. All they heard was Tim Keller and Jesus. I'm sorry. Hopefully more Jesus than Tim Keller. And Tim says this, without the gospel, your self-image is based upon living up to some standard, whether it's yours or someone that's imposed upon you and you have to live up to those standards, you will be confident but not humble. If you live up to those standards, you will be confident but not humble. If you're in a religion that says, work, and if you work hard enough, you'll be accepted, that's what he's talking about. Every world religion, other than the gospel, is a system where if I obey enough of the rules, the regulations, the mores of this group, then maybe eventually, maybe eventually, I might be accepted. And if you do get to that place where you feel confident enough that I really have kept the rules, what he's saying is it will make you confident, but it will not make you humble. Instead, it will make you self-righteous and arrogant. I must be better than you because I'm the one keeping the rules, right? I'm the one getting it done. Confident, but not humble. But the opposite is also the problem. If you're a part of a system religion that says if you work hard enough, if you keep the rules enough, if you keep the social mores of this group enough, then you might be accepted, but you're not doing it. You're not keeping up, and the reality is none of us are. We don't even keep our own rules well enough. Then you may be humble, 
or excuse me, you're going to be crushed, and you may be humble, but you're definitely not going to be confident. But in the gospel, there's this good word. Yes, <laughs> there are rules. Yes, there is the law. Yes, there are ro- regulations. But I've got great news for you, and I'm going to boast in the Lord. This is what I'll boast in. There is one man that kept it all. His name is Jesus. Jesus kept the law. As I look at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and the second is like it. You shall have no idols in the form of anything. My heart, your heart, John Calvin said, is an idol factory. We're constantly making up other things to worship other than the living God. Every one of us has broken it. The law says, do not commit adultery. And we say, phew, good, I haven't done that. But then Jesus comes along and says, if you've even lusted in your heart after a man or a woman, you have committed adultery. And so all of us, Stand guilty before him. You shall not murder. But if you have anger in your heart, you have a heart of murder. So as we look at the law, we say, I'm, I'm lost. I haven't kept any of this. As I look at the Ten Commandments, how could I have confidence? Well, because Jesus kept it for you, and he's giving you the gift of his righteousness as a gift. The gospel is not simply that you're forgiven and, and, and so that you don't get what you deserve. Jesus got it. It's also that you get what Jesus deserved. His righteousness. And in that, just think about what that does for your heart. Man, I was so broken, so fallen, so sinful that I deserved death. And yet I didn't get death. Jesus did. Jesus got what I deserved. Jesus got my death. Well, that humbles a fool like me. (laughs) How then can I not be growing in humility? How can I not grow in my love for others and be patient? Like, if I deserve death, if I deserved a death like that, but somebody else took it on my behalf, but it also makes me confident. Not a self-confidence, but a Christ-centered confidence. Because he won my acceptance. I'm his. And so as we close in prayer and we go to the Lord's table this morning, I know... Spiritually speaking, none of us probably feel that confident. We feel shameful. We feel helpless at times. We feel lost. We feel like it's impossible to overcome those things that have ensnared us. We make promises to God. I will never go back to that. I'll never do that again. If I just get enough accountability, I'll stop. I'm going to quit being unselfish. I'm going to quit lusting. I'm going to quit whatever your thing is. I'm going to quit this addiction. But the truth is, it's, it's so much more complex than that. And right there, Christ is saying, trust me. The gospel is true of you. Through faith, through true faith and repentance. You're my, you're my child. You're loved and accepted. And look how beautifully that can humble us and give us confidence at the same time. Let's pray. Father, I I just thank you and praise you for the gospel because without that, there would be no hope for any of us. Who could stand before you right now with any sense of confidence whatsoever and not even have true humility that cares for others or loves other people but just would be self-wallowing in our pity because we're so broken and lost and helpless. But in you, Father, we've found someone that loves us so completely that you've done what is necessary to make us right, and you've given us a new name, and you've changed us, changed our name, and changed our identity. We're now yours. And I pray for my friends right 
even at the worst of their struggle. The place where it feels impossible to overcome. That you might give us confidence. A sense of well-being, a sense of that we are in, in you, that we have you, that we're yours, bought with a price. And may this amazing meal that you've blessed your church with give us confidence this morning, gospel confidence and, and humility as we share together as a body. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.